Amen. Thank you, sir. What a beautiful set. And thank you for being here today. Did you uh, have a great Thanksgiving and eat too much and enjoy time with family and friends? Did everybody have a crazy uncle or something come around? Everybody got a weirdo or two in your family? Right? You say, I don't have any weirdos. <laughs> They're thinking of you. All right. Good, I'm glad you're here. We're glad to have you at Grace. I'm Bobby, if we haven't met, and I have the joy of serving here. Can you believe it's coming up on three years? My word, three years. So I hope you don't wanna have a divorce. We're just getting started, okay? We're glad you're here. Everybody remember what that is? What is that thing? Plum line, look at that UT orange. Go Vols, right? They got it done again. Of course, if they didn't, that would have been really bad. So, got Vandy. Uh, we're not going to talk about how Carolina played ball this week. We're just going to move on to the next subject. But remember what this is. This is a standard. And I'm calling this series Divine Plumb Line from Romans 3 because we want God's standard. He's the only right and wrong. And when we come to the Lord's table in just a bit, we're going to be reminded that we had absolutely nothing to do with this salvation that's been granted, that this, this is a precious gift. Let me ask you a question with these fine-looking gentlemen, uh, most of them, all poised at the doors. Look at them all duded up. Uh, my wife asked me if I was wearing a suit today. She said, you know, the deacons will be dressed up. I said, no, we'll let those guys dress up, and they look so nice. If you did not get your little chalice cup, this is our sanitary form of taking the elements. If you did not get the bread and juice today, would you just slip a hand up and let these guys see you and let them bring it to you, okay? Balcony and floor. If you didn't get one, slip a hand. It's okay to raise a hand in a Baptist church. We see that. We're going to take a photo of this and say, all these people got saved today. All right, go ahead. And... No, just put your hand up. Let the men serve you. Thank you, deacons. We love and appreciate you guys so very much. And uh, those are actually a little better. The quality of that and also being able to get into those is a little easier than the old style. So as we come to the Lord's table today, we're going to be reminded that there is a standard and we're not it. This is the written and the living Word of God. So we have the Bible and we have the Lord Jesus as our divine plumb line. Romans 3 is walking us through a very important set of truths about our salvation and about what we have in Christ. And the last two weeks we were in this series, we talked about how to be right with God. What is righteousness, to be right with God? We said, well, first you start with him, right? Righteousness is from God. It's not based on our works. It is based on his grace. It is secured by the sacrifice of Christ, and it is received only by faith in Christ. Today, I'm taking my title from the famous 1813 Jane Austen novel, Pride and Prejudice. Pride and Prejudice. I hope that this will be very clear to you this week and next week as we come to the conclusion of the series and then head toward Christmas, uh, why I'm naming it this. I read about a man named Ron who once taught a class of mentally challenged teenagers Looking at his students' capabilities rather than their limitations, Ron taught them to play chess, restore furniture, repair electrical appliances. But most importantly, Ron taught them how to have faith. There was a young man named Jimmy who soon proved how well he learned that lesson on faith. One day he brought in uh, to his class a broken toaster. 
And tucked under one arm, he had that broken toaster. But tucked under the other arm, he had half a loaf of bread. See, what Jimmy was trying to say is, this isn't working right now. But because I believe, because I have faith, because Ron has taught me, I believe it is as good as fixed. You see, this is the way it is when we come to the Lord by faith. Some of you come broken. In fact, the only way to come is broken. We come with all of our parts and pieces, and sometimes folks think, once I sort that out, I'll get right with God, and I'll come to church, and I'll begin living a life of faith. Do you know how foolish that is? You come with all of your broken pieces, and by faith you understand that God is the only great restorer who can bring all those pieces together and who can fix you and make you work. The great church father, Augustine, or Augustine, said faith is to believe what we do not see, and the reward of faith is to see what we believe. Clement of Alexandria, another church father, said faith is a voluntary anticipation. E. Stanley Jones, the preacher, said faith is not merely your holding on to God, it is God holding on to you, and he will not let go. And then I want to add my own sort of personal definition of faith. I like to define faith sort of like this. It is confidence in God based on the revelation of his word. I have faith in God because all my life I've seen that God has been true to his word. And if I can have a confidence in God based on the revelation of scripture, I know how the story ends. Of course, Hebrews 11.1 1 says faith is being sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. Let's see that together as we read the conclusion of Romans 3. Stand with me. And by faith, let's see what the Scripture says. Faith is not blind, by the way. We have it right here. Paul asked this question, coming through all of this series on what is, how bad is sin and then how are we right with God. And in that context, this is how we're right with God. He says, where is boasting then? In other words, where's the space? Where's the place for boasting in the life of the Christian? It is excluded by what? Law? Of works? Meaning, okay, we've just been good enough? No. But by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith apart from the deeds of the law. Or is he the God of the Jews only? Is he not also the God of the Gentiles? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since there is one God who will justify the circumcised by faith, Jews, and the uncircumcised through faith, Gentiles. Do we then make void the law through faith? Certainly not. On the contrary, we establish the law. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, there, there are not a lot of words we just read here. But there's a lifetime plus of meaning. These, these verses have been studied and chewed over and meditated upon for many, many centuries, a few millennia now, and yet we're still not anywhere close to the bottom of this well that is so rich in theological truth and even in practical understanding and application for the Christian. I just pray today that you would give us eyes to see ears to hear, 
hearts receptive and hands and feet ready to put into practice the truth before us. If there are lost folks here or listening, God save them as only you can. If there are saved folks here that are broken and far from you, restore them and bring them back home. And if there are Christians here that are maturing in their faith and doing what you've called them to do, then give us a heart full of gratitude, Lord, as we come out of this Thanksgiving week. Help us to remember, as Pastor Jeff has rightly said, Thanksgiving is not just one day, but for the Christian, it's every single day. We have hearts that are filled with appreciation and adoration for you. Thank you, God, for what you have said. And now help us to receive it in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, let's be seated and let's see what the Lord wants to teach us. So let's start with this main truth. Because we are justified by faith in Christ alone. Now I know some of you may want me to say by grace through faith in Christ alone. I get it. That's Ephesians 2 language. But I'm using Romans 3 language, which says it this way. We're justified by faith in Christ alone. And because of that, there is no place for pride. There is no place for pride. Never mistake confidence for pride, okay? Let's review an important term we find in our text. It, come out, it came out last week. We see it used again here. The term is justification or to be justified. Remember that is a legal term from the world of law. It means to declare not guilty. You've heard me say it. Some pastors would say it's just as if I'd never sinned. But it really is more than just as if I'd never sinned. It is the taking away of guilt. It is the imputation or the implanting of righteousness. So it's taking away the bad, putting in the good. We're declared not guilty, but we're simultaneously declared righteous, right with God. In fact, according to 2 Corinthians 5.21, we are given the righteousness of Christ. So that Romans 8.1 says there's no condemnation for those of us who are in Christ Jesus. Look at 27 and 28 with me again here in Romans 3. Where is boasting then? See, there's no place for it. It's excluded. Now, how is boasting excluded? By, by what law? Of works? No. By the law of faith. Not what we've done to be right with God, but how we believe. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith, apart, separated from deeds of the law. You see, what Paul knows very well as a Jew among Jews is that human nature, Jew or Gentile, human nature wants us to boast about our accomplishments. When we get good grades at school, we go, look, mom, look, dad. All A's, isn't that great? That's great. And when we do well with our new diet, we tell friends, guess what? I've lost 15 pounds and, and two dress sizes. I haven't, uh, for the ladies, two I hope. For, I, I haven't felt this well in years. And look, you know, I feel like a new person. And we want folks to know, and that's fine. But according to a story in the Grand Rapids Press, the owner of a small foreign car, uh, of a small foreign car had begun to irritate his friends by bragging incessantly about his great gas mileage. So they decided that they would see how far he would take it. And so every day, one of them would sneak out in the parking lot where the man kept his car during work, and they would pour a few gallons of gas into it. And that's way too expensive to do this prank anymore, right? But they would pour a few gallons of gas, and soon this, this braggart was boasting about phenomenal gas mileage. He said, I'm getting like over 99 miles to a gallon. It's like I never have to fill up. Well, then the pranksters decided they would stop adding any gas to his tank. 
And the guy became exceedingly depressed. He came back in the office and said, I don't know what's happened with my car. I'm having to fill it up all the time now. And so they got the better of him. The poor fellow couldn't figure it out. But have you ever, and it may not be about the car, but have you ever met anybody that's just always, always, always telling you just how great this is or how great that is? Have you ever met those folks? I mean, listen, I'm an outdoorsman, so I've hung out with hunters and fishermen and other liars my whole life, okay? And so we're always trying to show each other. And the funniest part of it is, because I had one of these stories this week, this eight-pounder got away off my, off my line. I'm going, how do you know he's an eight? Well, I saw him jump. Well, what did you see him jump? And you have magic scales built into your eyes? Or you should have seen him. That monster buck, he just wouldn't give me the shot. It's always that way. And it's like when we go fishing, we were out fishing last week, and every time you go somewhere and they'll tell you something like this, you should have been here yesterday. <laughs> or, or, or you leave and then the next day they say, oh, they're just killing it today. You know, it's always that way. And with some folks, we, we just grow accustomed. We say, okay, okay, you, you got that turkey, you got that big old deer, you caught that great fish, you want people to see the pictures? I do too. I do too. It's really human nature. We like the attention, we like the affirmation, we like the pat on the back. Now watch this. Here's an important distinction. There's nothing wrong with feeling a sense of satisfaction over what God has done or how God is blessed. My friend Eddie years ago taught me this truth. Eddie had just gotten saved, had just been baptized, but he taught me when we were on, it was my very first uh, successful turkey hunt. Eddie had helped me. He had called in a bird. He was teaching me what to do. This is 15, six, let's see, 16 years ago, I guess. And he was a baby Christian, but we stopped and, and Eddie said, we should pray over this. I always pray and thank God for what he's given us. And I guess my whole life, even though I was a Christian, I never thought about if I prepare, if I do the work, if I practice, and I go out and harvest, look what I did. Eddie, even as a young Christian, didn't see it that way. Eddie saw it as that was a gift from the hand of God, and it totally changed my perspective. Y'all following that? Totally changed my perspective. And it really grew me not only in the area of hunting, but in a lot of other things. I think about what God did in here last weekend for feeding the 5,000, and I think we should celebrate lives being changed. At least 20 new brothers and sisters in Christ and 10 that followed through with baptism that very day. And God, and we're hearing other stories. I hope you've looked at that link and read some of the stories and, and saw some of the appreciation. And I hope you're praying for some of those that gave us requests. Uh, we had a huge stack of those. You didn't see everything. We just had a huge stack of people saying what God had done for them that day. And I am so thankful for that. I'm grateful for that. But there is that line of taking credit for what only God can do. And so when we think about what this is saying, it's not really addressing the guy showing you the deer pick or the, the fish. It's not really addressing that. What Paul is doing is saying there's a specific type of boasting to be avoided. We see it all over Romans 3. It's in verses 21 to 26. What we learn is that when it comes to how we are related to God, meaning our salvation stance, we have nothing to do with it. 
Our salvation is completely the work of God when he sent Jesus to die on the cross for our sins and he was buried and raised by the power of God the third day. This is of God, A to Z, alpha to omega, beginning to end. We don't add anything at all. Not one iota, that is part of Greek, not one jot or tittle. Those are little tiny punctuation type marks in the alphabet. It's, there's just nothing we add. He says, where is boasting then? It is excluded. Caucasus is the word there for boasting. It really is self-glorying or pride. This pride is excluded from the Christian life. In fact, look at a few verses with me. God says in Psalm 101.5, second half, whoever has haughty eyes and a proud heart, him I will not endure. God won't put up with it. Look at, Rome, look at Isaiah 14. Talking about how bad pride really is. Look at this. How you are fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning. Now, now watch what happens here talking about Satan. How you were cut down to the ground, you who weakened the nations. Now look at all of the personal pronouns. You, Satan, have said in your heart, I will ascend into heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit on the mount of the congregation on the farthest sides of the north. I will ascend to the heights. Look at all of these eyes. I will be like the most high. The same fallacy that he tried to sell Adam and Eve in the garden earlier. I, I, I. I wrote it like this. We are most like Satan when we are arrogant, boastful, and proud. And years ago, I heard a pastor say, and I don't know if it's exactly this way, but I had heard this, those who boast are busted since no one gets the gift of grace because they deserve it. I like that. Those who boast are busted. So if we think that somehow we have deserved what God has done for us, but I'm a pretty good guy. But you know, I've got this gift or that ability. I'm a pretty good person. I love the Holy Land. With this Omicron variant, uh, we're still planning to go right now. I know the country's shutting down again, and we need to be in prayer for that. We need to pray that it would be stayed and, and go away quickly with this COVID variant. One of my favorite places in the Holy Land is the Church of the Nativity in Bethlehem, said to be built there on the spot where Jesus was born. It is a very, very small entrance. For those of you who have been, I'm sure you'll remember this. It's so small that you have to duck down low to get inside. And, and I was asking our guide the first time we went many years ago, what is that all about? Excuse me. It's so small that you have to duck. Even I have to duck, so you know it's, it's down there, right? They deliberately designed it that way several centuries ago because local big shots like to ride their horses right into the sanctuary. So by lowering the entrance, they had to dismount and they could no longer bring their animals in. You say, well, where, what? so? Listen, if you really think you're getting to heaven one day, you better get down off your high horse. That's where that comes from. You learn something every day, don't you? See, once we're saved, great gratitude must be our attitude, not big boasting. And you're thinking, okay, Bobby, I get that, I understand it, but understanding it and living it are two different things. 
Some Jews would have a very hard time with this. They would have said, Paul, Paul, what are you talking about? We're the chosen people. We're recipients of the law. We have the covenant of circumcision. We have the rich history going back to Abraham. If anybody could brag about their spiritual status, it's us. And you look at the Apostle Paul's New Testament letters, and you know he feels strongly. Let's look at the screen. i got to quit sniffling. Get over this. Okay. Therefore, as it is written... Let the one who boasts, Paul said. Now, he had every reason to boast, but he says, let the one who boasts boast in the Lord. Look at 1 Corinthians 13. You know this. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. Love does not boast. It is not proud. Galatians 6.14, what does Paul say? But God forbid that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, by whom the world has been crucified to me. And I to the world. I, there's no room. What does Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 say? Now, you guys, you got to have this one memorized. For by grace you've been saved through faith. That not of yourselves. It's the gift of God, not of works. Because if it was of works, we would boast. Are y'all taking pictures of me or are the lights flashing? Or is it my eyes? Something weird going on over there? Uh-huh. Okay. Has that been doing that for a while? Just one time. I thought the paparazzi had found me. Okay. <laughs> Speaking of pride, Paul's absolute conviction is that there's no room for pride in the Christian life unless, listen, you're boasting about what God's doing. And that's cool. That's great. You're, you're, you're essentially saying, Lord, all of this good that I'm witnessing, all of this great stuff that's happening, I recognize that is from your hand. In fact, there are a couple of songs. Selah came out with one in 2009. I love it. I love the lyric. Y'all know this song, I'm sure. I will not boast in anything. Y'all heard that? No gifts, no power, no wisdom. But I will boast in Jesus Christ, his death and resurrection. I just, that, that lyric, that is incredible. There's a glorious old hymn we sing. It's been revived more in recent years, but it was written by Isaac Watson, first published in 1707. Think about that. Over 300 years old, but the lyric still rings with power and truth. Look at it. Y'all know it. When I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my riches gain I count but loss. Look, and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God. What does that mean? Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death, except. Lord, I can't boast except in what Jesus has done. Now that I'm gonna brag about. I am going to exalt and extol the work of Christ and the person of Jesus. All the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. Incredible lyrics that still hold such truth. Instead of taking pride in how good we are, it's much more appropriate to take pride in how good our God is. And once we understand what Jesus went through on the cross to purchase salvation, we see what a sin it is to take credit for what God does in our lives. Look at this last statement here I've got on your notes. Well, I've got two more statements on your notes. Look at C. When we meditate on the cross of Christ, it reminds us who truly deserves all the credit and all the praise. When we meditate on the cross of Christ, what does that mean to meditate on the cross of Christ? What does that mean? I'm going to take away all the distractions, all the noise, and I just think, really think. 
concentrate. You don't have to rub crystals and go on. Just concentrate on what the Lord has done. Folks, this is what the Lord's Supper is all about. The reason we come to the Lord's table in seriousness, with a somber spirit, I didn't say sad, but a state of seriousness, is because when we think about what Christ alone has done, we very quickly understand that boasting has no place in the life of the true believer. A man is justified by faith apart from observing the law. We are not made right or righteous by what we do. We are made righteous by faith in what Christ did. That's why Christianity is do versus done. Everything else out there says do, and Christianity says done. Can I give you the gospel in three simple sentences as we begin to take a moment to think about this before we partake of the bread and the cup? The gospel in three simple sentences. What God demands, we don't have. What does God demand? Do you realize that God demands perfection? You say, what? God is perfect. God demands sinless perfection. Well, we don't have that. What we don't have, Jesus provided. His perfection, his total righteousness. What we don't have, Jesus has provided. And what Jesus has provided, we receive by faith. Yeah, yes, by grace through faith. I know it's a work of God. But here, according to this text, we receive this by faith. If you add anything else to the way we become a Christian, then you change the fundamentals of Christianity. You change the core of what Christ did. And, and again, I want to remind you of something. I say this with some frequency. I know I mentioned it at a, great, at a GCA event recently. If there were another way to be saved, if there were a secondary door, a back door to heaven, if maybe by a, a, just enough good works I could sneak in, I would not be a Christian. I want you to hear me well. I declare to you that I would reject the God of the Bible. I would reject Jesus Christ. I would reject everything about Christianity if there were a plan B. Because in my book, if there were a plan B, it would make God the Father a cruel tyrant for killing his son when there was another way. And as a father, and now a grandfather, my heart would not be inclined toward killing my child unnecessarily. Would any of your hearts be inclined toward that? And so when we read that he is the one and only, and you won't even see the kingdom of God without faith in Christ, it's really what the Bible means. Because we are justified by faith in Christ alone, there is no place for pride. I just watched a documentary on him. About two, three weeks ago, I love boxing. Um, <laughs> busting heads in Jesus' name, man. I just love boxing. I don't particularly care as much for a lot of the modern boxing. It just seems to have lost some luster. But I still enjoy boxing. And of course, if I said, who might have been the most prideful boxer of all time, who would you say? Cassius Clay, baby, Muhammad Ali, right? Anybody that ever heard Muhammad Ali talk just saw pride ooze all over that guy. There is a famous story told through the years 
about the one-time heavyweight boxing champion of the world, Muhammad Ali, flying to one of his engagements. Now, y'all know Ali's name has never been synonymous with humility. And during the flight, the aircraft ran into foul weather and smiled to moderate turbulence and began to kind of toss things about. So uh, all, the, all the flyers understood when the, the dingers happen and the captain comes on and I need you to put your seatbelts on, you know, people that maybe Ford had not expressed religious uh, uh, thought, maybe start praying, you know. Everybody wants to call out to Jesus when it starts going bad. You notice that. And so, uh, so, so the, the flight crew, they're sort of checking before they take their own seats and everybody's complying on the plane except for guess who? Old Muhammad Ali. He would not put that seatbelt on. The uh, flight attendant tried to be kind to him and, and Ali audaciously responded, well, Superman don't need no seatbelt. The flight attendant was very wise. She said, yes, sir, but Superman don't need no plane either. <laughs> That's pretty good. <laughs> Let me ask you a question. Let me ask you a question. If you were to stand before the Lord and he were to say to you what we used to ask in EE, why should I let you into my heaven? What do you say? Why should I let you into my heaven? How, how do you respond? What's your first inclination? I've asked that question to hundreds of people over the years. And... The answers are always telling. Many will say, well, I try to be a good person. Remember that message, there are no good old boys? Many will say, well, um, I would tell him that, uh, you know, my good outweighs my bad. I've heard folks say, well, I go to church. My granddaddy was a deacon. I've taught Sunday school. I've sang in the choir. I was raised, I heard this a lot. I was raised in a Christian home. God has no grandchildren. If you answer the question, why should I let you into my heaven with anything other than this, something like this, I have placed my faith in Jesus and Jesus Christ alone. I trust in his finished work. I believe that he took all of my sin and gave me all of his righteousness. I believe that he is the only way that I can get in. If you answer with any answer other than Jesus, it's the wrong answer. And in the Christian life, there's never any place for pride. And as we'll see next week, and it's very timely, never any place for prejudice either. So I want you to think about something here. If you have a Bible and you want to look at it with me, I'm just going to spend just a second over in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. 1 Corinthians chapter 11. It's very interesting what Paul does here as he's teaching about the Lord's Supper. He's, he's correcting the Corinthians. And he tells them when you come to, I'm, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians 11 and I'm just going to skip from verse 20 on to verse 30. He says, look, brothers and sisters, when you come together in one place, is it not to eat the Lord's Supper? For in eating, each one takes his own supper ahead of others. Now they had more of a feast, a full meal, that, and they would attach communion into that. But basically he's saying, look, you guys come and you bring your own food and, and some get drunk. Don't you have houses to eat and drink in? Do you despise the church of God and shame those who have nothing? 
I'm not going to praise you in this. I received specific instruction from the Lord on this. And he goes to tell them about that. When Jesus said, take and eat, remember me. This is my body. And when he says, take this cup, it's the cup of the new covenant, remember. But he says, when you come pridefully to the Lord's table, he says, you begin to take the Lord's Supper in a manner that is unworthy. You then become guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What does that phrase mean? You're guilty of the body and blood of the Lord. What it means is this. I don't really need this, God. I can take care of myself. So it's as though you spit on the sacrifice of what Christ has done. I know you have offered this help, but look at me. I'm first. And the Bible says the first should be last. And so he says, look, before you come to this table, a person's got to examine himself and then let him eat of the bread and drink of the cup. For if you do this in an unworthy manner, you are eating and drinking judgment to yourself because you don't even discern the Lord's body. Pride keeps you from discerning the Lord's body. It's the very thing that caused Adam and Eve to fall. Hey, guys, you want to be like God? Just do this. And they realized they couldn't be any less like God in that moment. And so Paul concludes that little section on 30 with, for this reason. Because of your pride, many are weak and sick among you. And some have died. Some sleep. Folks, the Lord's table is a time to meditate on the finished work of what Christ has done. And so as you sort of get your cup there, you don't have to take anything off yet, I just want you to bow your head and close your eyes for a moment. And I want you to personally reflect. I want you to personally reflect on your position before the Lord. First, do you know that you know that you know that you're a child of God? If so, are you sharing your gratitude with the Lord? God, thank you for doing for me what I could never do for myself. And if you know that you know that you know, have you been obedient to baptism? Our own statement of faith says that baptism is pre prerequisite, comes first before communion. You say, well, I don't understand that biblically. Well, because public baptism was the first step of public faith. And the only kind of faith the Bible knows is public faith. Have you been obedient to be baptized? You didn't have to be baptized here. Notice I haven't brought up church membership. Just am I saved and baptized? Am I born again, baptized believer? And then is there anything in your heart right now? Any hint of pride? Any hint of prejudice? Any hint of something that would make you unworthy to partake. The Bible says, if we confess our sins, Christian, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us from all unrighteousness. Would you confess it to the Lord right now? Do not eat and drink judgment upon yourself. Father, the one thing that I'm acutely aware of in this moment, every time we come to the bread and the cup, is that I am not, nor will I ever be worthy 
but Jesus is worthy. And his sacrifice is fully sufficient. And so I come not because I deserve it, but I come in remembrance of him. Because when you look at me now, it's just as if I'd never sinned. And you declare me righteousness, righteous because of the finished work of Christ. And my prayer for every brother and sister here today, maybe even some at home who have maybe their own elements there, my prayer is that we come to your table with an attitude of thanksgiving in remembrance and as worthy men and women and boys and girls who are born again, baptized believers in Christ. And God, for those who are watching today that aren't yet Christians, I pray that they would understand that even now in this moment they can call out to you by faith. That their heart can cry out to you and say, I want to trust Jesus as my Lord and Savior. I want to turn away from my sin. I want to say yes to Christ and Christ alone. I want to be born again. They can do that even now because this act is a witness to the gospel. So we love you. And we thank you for what we're about to receive. In Jesus' name. So we come to observe the ordinance of the Lord's Supper, given to celebrate the memory of Jesus' broken body and shed blood. And it said on the night before he was betrayed at the conclusion of the feast of the Passover, which he and his disciples were celebrating, our Lord took bread, and having blessed it, he broke it and gave it to his disciples and said, this is my body, broken for you. And so I have this little bit of flat bread, and for those of you that may be new here to our communion, one of the things we'll do, I'll put this up so they can get a close-up. We buy something as close as we can today to what unleavened bread would have looked like. Unleavened bread of the time, any of you that have had matzah would be a little crunchier than what I'm holding. We don't use matzah crackers here because it's just too hard to control all of the mess. But what you notice is that it's flat. It has no leaven. Leaven in the Bible represents sin. You'll notice that it's bruised, it's striped, and it's even pierced. I don't know that you can pick up on that. But it is pierced. In fact, I wonder if I hold this up to the camera, Dale. I wonder if you can pick up that or if it's too bright. Can you pick up the holes in that? I don't know if you can or not. It's all right. You're going to have to take my word for it. But what I want you to remember is that when Jesus held up those young hands, 33, 33 and a half years old, he was telling those guys, this is my body. What you're seeing here is a representation. The bruises, the stripes, and the piercing. This is my body because the Lord knew what was coming, what was just on the horizon. And so it says he took the bread, he blessed it, and then he broke it. And so what I'd like you to do at this time is to take your cup, and you're just going to prepare just the bread section. You're just going to take off that one tab and get that bread ready. And you're just going to hold it with me for just a second. Lord, as Jesus would have held up that piece of unleavened bread and then those men around the table would have shared it with him. It was an incredibly powerful symbol of his body. 
At the time, it wasn't bruised or striped or pierced, but soon it would be. We are so grateful for the sacrifice of your Son and our Savior. And Lord Jesus, we cry out to you and we say thank you, thank you, thank you. Because of what you have done, there is absolutely no room for pride in our heart. Thank you for being willing to take our place, to pay the ultimate price. We do this in remembrance of you. And we pray this prayer in your name. Amen. So the Lord said, this is my body, broken for you. He would be teaching his closest followers about the manna from heaven that would fall. And he says, when he's speaking of his own body, he said of himself that that his body would be this, not as the fathers ate and died, but he that eateth this bread shall live forever. On that same night, our Lord took the cup, having blessed it. He distributed it among his disciples. He said, this is my blood, which is shed for you. If you'll take that second tab, and you'll get to your juice. Lord, we know you tell us in the book of Hebrews that apart from the shedding of blood, there is no remission, there's no forgiveness of sin, for life is in the blood. And so even as Jesus took that third cup of four, actually, in the Passover meal, as he took that cup and gave it new meaning, that wine, and he said, this is my blood, Lord, we understand the powerful symbolism there. And we understand that it is by his shed blood that our sins are not merely covered but completely cleansed. And so again, it's with humble and grateful hearts that we partake today as we remember the sacrifice. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. You remember that in 1 John, where we studied earlier this year, it said if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we Christians have fellowship one with another and the blood of Jesus, God's son, cleanses us from all sin. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. It's said that on the night our Lord had his last supper, now what we refer to as the Lord's Supper, they sang a hymn and they went out where he would soon be betrayed at the Garden of Gethsemane. As Melissa comes to the piano, what I want us to do is I want us to think very clearly about what we're hearing. For those of you that know hymnody, this will be familiar to you. It's softly and tenderly. You know that lyric? Softly and tenderly, Jesus is calling. And the the long and short of it is calling, old sinner, come home. And that's what I'm asking of you too. If you don't know that you know that you know, why wouldn't you come and nail it down today? And if you do know that you know that you know, why wouldn't you come with a heart overflowing with gratitude? God, thank you for doing for me what I could have never done for myself. You could come as an intercessor praying for someone. Maybe God gave you an opportunity to share this week. You could pray pray that seeds planted would now bring forth fruit. 
whatever the need, as we go to the Lord, let's spend our last few minutes before God today. Would you stand?